1: This giant, So the giant moves. he's got a spear in one hand, and he's running really fast, and spears, Dan, and holds him up like this. Somebody else, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face, they basically decapitate him. Got closer got closer got person, when he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12 days, and I blow this head off. And I feel something pulling at my leg, and I look over, and there are two small gray entities pulling it and they're literally i'm getting pulled off the bed i saw three long bony fingers with like claws on the end reach up underneath the door curl up to grab it and then disappear it's almost like they're unzippering our reality they stick their heads through and they look around and it looks like it's the coast is clear they step through the rest of the direction if you pick the head you get the whole package if you don't take the head off then what happens is they disappear this was all circulating around the base that a giant had been killed but no one was supposed to talk about it but then I look over to my left on the far side of the room
0: and there's Jack and he's got Blood on his face. He looks at me, and he just says one word.
1: Oops. I've been killing E.C.s longer than most people have careers. I reach my hand into this bush, and I touch air. Couldn't breathe, and I couldn't move because I know I'm seeing a monster.
0: show, everybody. You are listening to The Confessionals, a proud featured show on blogtalkradio.com. I am your host, Tony Merkel. Thanks for being here. If you've had an encounter or a story you'd like to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. That's theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. Or you can go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the connection section, and you can reach me that way as well. Now, I want to remind everybody that I am going to Frank Sarris Library in Cannonsburg, Pennsylvania on April 14th. There's going to be a big, Bigfoot conference going on out there, and I'm going to be part of it a little bit, hanging out with people, just having some fun. If you're within a five-hour drive of there, I expect to see you because I'm driving six hours to get there. So if you're within five hours, I would love to see you out there. Please come on out, hang out with me, hang out with everybody else there. It will be a great time. Now this week's iTunes shoutouts is now. Remember, we do the iTunes shoutouts, and if you do not have an iTunes account, go ahead and just share this week's show on your social media, and that will count for something. So this week's iTunes shoutouts is Bink Abat, Wayne Alter, Bradley B eighty five, Hardened Steel, Frigno twenty one, A Jeanette, Dael, and Lady Shalot. Thank you very much for going ahead and rating and reviewing the show. It means a ton to me. And if you want to rate and review the show and you have not done so yet, it's not too late. Do it this week and I will get you a shout out on next week's show. Now this week's Patreon shout outs is Charles W, Heather A, Karen B, and Bonnie K. Thank you very much for going to Patreon and supporting the show It means a ton to me and helps out the show a lot So thank you very much Now this week we have Bill Lancaster coming on for a little bit Talking about his new Bigfoot documentary called Cultured Bigfoot He comes on to talk about his documentary And I highly recommend everybody go check it out on Amazon And then we're going to bring on Lisa Who had a very unconventional dogman encounter I'm really excited about tonight's show So let's get it going Okay, tonight I have Bill Lancaster on, and Bill has actually started a doc, or he actually created a documentary, and he's here tonight to talk about it. Bill, how you doing, man? All right, Tony. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great, man. Uh, We spent some time here talking and getting to know each other, and man, I'm really excited about what this documentary has been doing for you, this movie. Uh, So... Why don't you tell people what it's about and stuff? Uh, It's called Cultured Bigfoot. Uh, How did you come up with this idea, and how did you start executing on the production aspect of things?
1: Well, basically, uh, I have a very supportive wife. Uh, That's the best thing. Uh, Me and her, as we got to know each other, uh, one of the things we would do uh, late at night was listen to stuff like Coast to Coast AM and listen to the sci-fi stuff, the the Bigfoot, the paranormal, the UFO, the conspiracy theory stuff and all that. And so we were fascinated in that. But one of the things we were particularly fascinated in was Bigfoot. And um, we were reading books, listening to podcasts, watching every documentary we could. And then I think it was two years ago, my wife happened to see on Facebook that there was a uh, Bigfoot conference that was gonna be about 60 miles away from where we lived. And she's like, we ought to go to that. Because one of the things on our bucket list was to go to a UFO conference. We're like, that'd be so cool, you know. And so uh, anyways, we decided to go, got tickets. I reached out and found out who the conference organizer was. And I said, hey, would you mind if I filmed the speakers? And if I do, I'll put it up and share it on Facebook. I'll even give you a copy if you want but I just would like to film it. Well, surprisingly, the guy said, yeah, no, that'd be great. If, you, if you'd if you be willing to share it, that'd be great. So uh, I had just upgraded my uh, camera and gotten one that shot 1080 HD and did broadcast quality video and, and started working on some sound equipment. And so anyways, I went up there for the conference and uh, set the camera up. I didn't have any special privileges. I just sat back there and uh, videotaped it, well, not videotaped anymore, recorded it, and uh, if someone's, you know, bald head got in the way, then uh, as I edited, I would just throw up a screen grab of something else, and if the lights dimmed, I would throw up, you know, another screen grab of the logo of the conference or whatnot. Anyways, it turned out when I put this up, there was a bunch of people watching and commenting on it. Well, I got to meet a couple of the lecturers and subsequently became really good friends with uh, two of them. Uh, Dr. David Floyd, he's a PhD out of uh, Southern Charleston university and uh, Russell Easterbrooks. He's a sports writer for um, footballnation.com and he's an artist and a, a, a Bigfoot researcher got to be friends with these guys and come back to the house. And over the next week or two or a month or two, me and my wife were continuing to watch documentaries and stuff. And to be honest with you, we were watching some stuff that was out there that was just absolutely horrible. It was a lot of bouncy GoPro footage and night vision footage and clear footage and didn't make a lot of sense. And my wife had said, because my camera and playing with it, you could do something that is as good as that or better. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, I probably could. And she knew I was wanting to try and film something. And I'd started working on a little uh, project uh with uh, author Stephen J. Simone's uh, called Rite of Passage and we got that pretty much filmed and kind of on hold and while we were getting this going. And um, anyways, uh I reached back out to some of these folks that I had met and said, Hey, I'd like to do a you know a documentary here and, and, and my wife had said, Well, what do you want to do? You don't want to like, you know, be chasing glow sticks around the wood and this, that and the other. And I said, one of the things I was fascinated with was when you got on, you know, Facebook or something or Google, and you put in Bigfoot, you found this whole community that you didn't know existed in social media, and we started reaching out to these folks, and all of a sudden we were fascinated with the community, the people that look for Sasquatch and are interested in it, and so my wife had come up with the famous, or famous, uh, the 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 tagline of we're not seeking the elusive Sasquatch, but the much easier to find Squatcher. And so that kind of went from there, and we started the outline, and and I had kind of a dream team of folks that I wanted in it, Cliff and Bobo and Lyle Blackburn and Dr. Meldrum. And as I started reaching out to these guys months in advance, I was getting a whole lot more yeses instead of noes. And so from March of last year to September of last year, Uh, I ended up doing about 23 different interviews, and what I thought was going to be a glorified YouTube video turned into an actual honest-to-God documentary movie, and basically with consumer-grade editing software, I put together what was out there and started showing it to a few folks that I'd become friends with, like a Seth Breedlove of Small Town Monsters, and Thomas Markham of the Crypto Crew, and these guys were telling me, dude, you're onto something, and mm-hmm. what are you using, and what? That's that $99 software and stuff like that. And <laughs> I, was tricking the, I was tricking the software to make it, you know, instead of clicking a button to make this look sharp, I would layer three or four effects to make it look like what I'd seen on TV, and And it was all just self-taught kind of thing, you know, checking it out on YouTube and lynda.com and stuff like that. And, and I just kind of sat here and started learning and doing it. And all of a sudden, uh, we actually found out that we had a a real movie and, and we started having folks call us and want to do podcast after we put our first trailer out and all of a sudden my wife got really nervous and was like, Oh my gosh you've got something that people are expecting you to actually have something out there now, and we've got to make this good. And I wasn't as nervous as she was until we got into the editing part, but uh, all of a sudden it just turned into a full-blown, you know, documentary and, uh, and you know, and it, and it kind of goes on from there, the whole editing and figuring out how to get it out there and everything, but that, that basically was it. We went to a conference and I recorded it, made a few connections, one thing led to another, and uh, we took my new camera and upgraded some equipment, and uh, and and started making a, an, an honest to goodness uh, movie, a, a respectful movie about the Bigfoot community and the folks involved, from the you know the wide demographic, from PhDs all the way down to the boots on the ground guys, architects, lawyers, high school janitors, truck drivers. I mean, it was just amazing. What other field? would you have these people to come together at a conference and they would never, ever talk to each other in any other circumstance, but they'll sit down and talk about something that everybody else outside of that conference thinks you're a goon for getting into. But these group of folks will sit down and talk about Bigfoot. And that was just amazing to us. And that's where we went. We wanted to show why these folks take it serious and why they you know, believe or think that there is a probability of this creature existing. And, 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 and it was just fascinating, you know, so that's kind of the long end of it.
0: <laughs> no, it's great. I, I had the opportunity to check out your documentary and stuff and I just thought it was absolutely well done, especially, I mean, this is your first real project that you did and it was yeah. just so well put together it it wasn't like you shot a bunch of stuff threw it all together and that was it i mean that you could tell there was literal intent behind every frame of what you did and i appreciated that as a consumer of your product and like as time went on as i was watching this stuff i was learning so much about the Bigfoot community and just the way you put it together and stuff is like you said, respectful, very respectful on all fronts. And uh, I just, I thought you did a great job with it. And you're absolutely right with the uh, Bigfoot community and stuff, going to these conferences and stuff, you get the chance to sit down with people that you never would have talked to in any other circumstances. And that's a
1: very unique thing about this. Well, I have to tell you the reason this thing worked out, looking so coherent and cohesive is is it's kind of funny I am the guy that sits at the computer and has learned how to do the editing software my wife is learning but doesn't know the editing software and so my wife is also the very analytical one the writer narrator behind it co-director co-everything and I would be sitting there and she would say These three segments at the 45-minute mark need to come up to the 15, 18, and 25-minute mark move them. I would wince and about have a heart attack because I knew how easy I could screw it up. And she didn't (laughs) know that, but she knew that's what she wanted. And so her giving me orders, honestly, is what made this because I was like, oh, no, I don't know if I want to do that. Well, we did it, and then all of a sudden, we'd have to render it and resave it, and then we would watch through, and we'd go, oh, my gosh, that sounds so much better. Well, Tony, it went through seven cuts, and I truly found out when people say when you put a movie out, it's truly never done, well, I know what they're talking about. I got to that seventh cut, and I said, look, I don't want to even see it anymore. My wife said that first. She doesn't want to see it anymore, (laughs) but I said, you know what, that is as good as it gets right now. This is our first time out, but after I sat down and made a DVD of it, well, actually, it's shot in Blu-ray quality, so I made a Blu-ray, and I popped it on my 55-inch plasma and watched it through as a real movie, and I, the, the thing I wasn't being um, uh, self-aggrandizing or anything, but I sat there and watched it, and I went, oh my gosh, that's that's like what I would watch on, I would look for on TV. And and I just was like, well, you know, I'm hoping the other folks see it because now we took, and we had so many people say that, man, you've got so many interviews. How are you going to make that make sense? Well, it was kind of a, a direction of both of us uh, working on it. And my wife literally fine tuning it and saying, this needs to go here and here. And then we both would watch. And then I would go back in and do the fine tuning, a fade in, fade out, and throw the narration here and, and you know, stuff like that. And so it was truly a team project. We don't have a production team. You're you're talking to one half of it. Uh it was truly just me and my wife. And and I was it was one of those things I got so sick of seeing a lot of these uh uh YouTube things and documentaries where you could tell this guy wanted to be sitting beside Dr. Meldrum and be in the same frame so that he looked as cool as Dr. Meldrum did. Well, we didn't want that at all. I thought that's so cheesy. And so we wanted to make sure we weren't seen. We were behind the camera. And the stars of our movie are not us at all. It's those people that are in front of it. And to be honest with you, that's who makes the movie. It was one of those things we had to learn we're not journalists but we had to learn a journalistic aspect of this and it's all about asking the right question that evokes that gold nugget of a response and when you sit down in front of somebody like dr Meldrum, someone i absolutely wanted to meet and you see him kind of smile when you ask him a certain question and you can tell he's not been asked that before you know that you and your wife have, have done the right thing. And you're not just going, when did you first see him? Have you ever seen him? You know, that kind of stuff. And so anyways, it's truly uh and I'm sorry that she can't be here, but she literally has just gotten in from work had uh, a late night. But, uh, but she is truly the, uh, the, the other half of this that made this, uh, sound and look as good as it did and be as, uh, as as coherent uh, as a flow as it was.
0: Yeah, and you guys, you're absolutely right. You guys did this the absolute right way. You weren't trying to be the star of the film. Uh, I don't even remember seeing you guys in the film if you weren't in it at all. No. Uh, and and that's... No, we weren't. That's Exactly, and, and that's how that's how I approach my show. I try to let the guests talk as much as possible because people are tuning in to hear the guests, not me. And so you guys did it absolutely right, and it shows because I'm telling you, it was fantastic. I absolutely loved it, and I highly encourage people to check it out. So, Bill, where can people find Cultured Bigfoot?
1: Uh, I want to start out by saying the first place I would love for you to go find it is com. uh nick groff and elizabeth saint had january 8 18 uh 1818, they launched their com. and it is all about the cryptid paranormal documentaries haunted space this and that and the other and they had approached us uh, about a month ago they had seen our project out there and uh, wanted us to be a part of their newly uh Uh, streaming platform. And so for all the folks that are listening to you so that we can support them, I would hope that you would go to VidiSpace first and check them out. And the reason I say that is because we are also on Amazon streaming, but on purpose we did it so that one isn't cheaper than the other. They both cost the same thing. The advantage of VidiSpace is if you're a subscriber, you can actually stream it. We don't have that on Amazon right now. We won't go to Prime for a while. We're doing the rental. So there's actually an advantage for you to go over to Vidispace if you become a subscriber, besides getting all their other content, then you can actually watch ours as many times as you want. But on both platforms, you can stream them, uh, uh, rent them, and, and you can download them digitally to own. Uh, we also have DVDs available. Uh, and uh, you can simply uh, go to Facebook. Uh, We're small-time enough. Go to my Facebook page, Cultured Bigfoot, and just put an inbox request. We'll ask you for your email. Uh, We use, just just like PayPal, we use the Square Reader system, and we can send you a secure invoice. You pay it, put the address in, and we can send you a, a, a DVD out. And if you... Don't do Facebook. Just simply uh, Darth Bill sixty eight. That's just like Darth Vader. I'm a Star Wars fan. All lowercase, uh, no spaces. Darth Bill and the number sixty eight at gmail dot com. You send us an email, and uh, we'll get one in the mail to you. We're doing them for uh, fifteen dollars. Uh, that includes shipping and handling. And for the folks that end up, because we've had some requests, and I I put this out there. Uh, some of these shops and whatnot uh, that are wanting them. Uh, if you order 10 or more, we're offering a 40% discount. So, Amazon, Vidispace, and get us on email or Cultured Bigfoot on Facebook, and uh, we can get you a DVD.
0: That's fantastic. And Vidispace is V I D I space dot com. Is that right?
1: Yes, sir. Yep. Awesome. Yep. Uh, and uh, I think. Uh, I may have actually sent you a, a a link in there so that you can go straight to that if you want to use that. But uh, anyways, I just it's one of those things. Those folks reach out to us, and because they are in the community of what we're doing, uh, to be honest with you, I mean it 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 obviously helps us either one you go to. But uh, I would hope that a lot of folks that are listening to you because they like what you do and what we're doing would also like what uh, Nick and Elizabeth are doing and go over to video Space and, uh, and rent it or download it from them so that we can... Because uh, me and Seth were talking the other day, and I know it sounds like name-dropping, but Seth Breedlove, he's getting ready to launch his uh, uh, mini-series with uh, Alexander on there on the Trail of Champ. And, um, and, and we both see the potential for this becoming a uh a very watchable streaming platform for the, the particular genre of movies that we're doing uh that that eventually can can compete with stuff like uh amazon
0: yeah I absolutely agree, so definitely check it out vitispace dot com looking up cultured Bigfoot and if you guys want and you're on Facebook go to cultured bigfoot's fan page and give it a like uh, the more likes the better it is for Bill, to be able to get on other platforms. Bill, are you trying to get on Netflix at all?
1: Well, it's one of those things that uh, I've, I'm not going to be, you know, uh, silly. I would love to be on Netflix. I have had a lot more people tell me that, man, the traction that your stuff is getting and the uniqueness of the subject and how you've done it different. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Netflix doesn't get a hold of you. We are our own marketing and, and distributor. We, it's it's us. We've done everything, and so I'm not actively pursuing them. But I'd be tickled pink if they got a hold of us, because I wouldn't even know how to, you know. Because basically, what I have found is you need to go through a distributor to get to them. But but folks are telling us that they wouldn't be surprised if they get a hold of us. So we'll not, you know, who knows. It's all invisible right now to us. It's just uh, it's out there, and we're happy to be able to flip it on and go. Oh my gosh, there it is, next to an episode of Finding Bigfoot and one of Seth's movies. <laughs> that was the full, the coolest yeah. thing. I sent Seth a picture the other day. I was like, Oh my gosh, I pulled this up on the screen, and there's that, and there's that, and you know, it's just yeah. You know, we're we're just amateurs at this. We're just normal people, and we happen to have evidently done something that is out of the norm, uh, of what's being put out there. And so, you know, uh, we're hoping, uh, God will bless us and, uh, and, uh, let it turn into a success. And, and if it's only a success is us being happy that it's done and flipping on the, seeing it on TV, then, then we'll take that, you know, but, uh,
0: Well, Bill, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing with the audience about your documentary. And like I said, I highly suggest people checking this out. I've seen it a couple weeks ago now, and it was phenomenal. So I applaud you on your efforts, you and your wife, you guys did a great job. And I know people that listen to this are going to want to check it out as well. So thank you very much for coming on.
1: Well, thank you, man. And, uh, just so you know, uh, we have already, and I'll shut up after this, but, uh, <laughs> we already this last weekend had our first production meeting, which was me and my wife, and we've already started writing a follow-up movie to this. And so, uh, hopefully, uh, by the end of this year, we'll have, uh, another one coming at you that'll be in the similar vein of this, uh, taking a, a serious, uh, approach at, at another aspect of the Bigfoot community.
0: Awesome, man. I cannot wait. And we'll have you back on for that as well. Thank you, Donnie. All right. Take care. Okay. Tonight I have a great guest coming on. I have Lisa and Lisa has experienced uh, several different things going on throughout her life. Uh, Lisa, how are you?
2: Good. How
0: are you? I'm doing good. Uh, what part of the country are you in?
2: I am in Middle Tennessee.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Uh, I've actually talked to several people from Tennessee and stuff. It's a, it's an interesting state for sure. Uh, so you have uh, actually experienced both Dogman and Sasquatch. And I believe you said on multiple occasions. Uh, and it seems like when we were talking mm-hmm. here a little bit, it's something to do with like your family history as well. Like it, it actually tracks back throughout your family history. So it's very fascinating. If you, if you want though, just kind of start with us, you know, how did this all begin for you? Like where did it all start? When did you start realizing that this was, you know, happening to you as far as these encounters?
2: Um, it's kind of tricky to answer that. I, I think, I think, The first time I really realized that there was something going on that was not normal was probably when um, I was watching an episode of In Search Of with my parents. And this was, I mean, this is when the show was actually coming on every week and it would would be a brand new episode. But I distinctly remember laying on the couch next to my mother and I couldn't have been any more than four or five years old. And the episode about the Sierra sounds came on and they were playing some of the recordings that they had picked up and they were some of the, some of the, what they call the samurai chatter. And I remember just hearing those noises and I still remember feeling absolutely terrified. Like I was just shaking next to my mother on the couch and I remember my dad switching it off and them asking me what was wrong and, I just told them that I was terrified and they insisted that, you know, there's nothing to worry about because that was all the way out in California and we were in Vermont and we were perfectly safe. And I remember asking them if they were sure a few times like, are you sure that's not here? Are you sure that we're safe? And they kept insisting that we were fine. And then I remember them turning the TV back on and the show had gone to something else. Um I think it was almost like a loosely related connection because I was having encounters with something in our backyard.
3: Um
2: and what what I've learned that it was possibly is what a lot of people in the dogman community um refer to as a type three, meaning that it is a dog it's a dog-like creature. I, I think the really, the only way that you could honestly, honestly describe the appearance of this thing is if Bigfoot and a werewolf had a baby. Um, very kind of odd-looking. Um, definitely dog-like features, but not as pronounced as something that you would maybe find in like the under, underworld movies, as some people have described some of their encounters and and some of the looks of these creatures. And for me, um, what really started it was I I was very much a wanderer. Um, I'd go outside and I'd play, but I would wander around and and explore. We lived in a very pretty, pretty much normal suburban neighborhood in a small town that still has, um, to this day, still only has about 16,000 people in it. Um, surrounded by mountains and lots of forests and lots of fields and wildlife and stuff. And there was this patch of woods behind my house and I used to go and wander around in there. And um, during that time of exploring, I found a neighbor behind us who had a playhouse and very rarely did I ever see kids there. I don't think that there were kids that actually lived there, Um, but there was this really nice playhouse and it was stocked full of toys and it had a little table inside. And for a while I would go in there and I would sit at the table and I would start playing with things. And then I would just get this feeling that would come over me and I would just start feeling afraid and I would never really know why, or, I, or not, not at that time. I wouldn't know why, um, but I would just, I would just run, um, like the fear was enough to just make me run out of the playhouse and run back home. And I even remember one day bringing my older sister who was about seven years older than me to this playhouse and we sat down and the same feeling came over her and I remember her very distinctly saying, let's, let's go home. I don't like it here. And so we left and went back home. Well, one afternoon I was wandering around, went to the playhouse and started a play and the people that owned this house came home. And I remember seeing the lady that lived there um, through their sliding glass doors kind of open up the open open up the door and let like the fresh air in. And I remember her putting on some music and she kind of just sat on a cushion and just started playing guitar and just kind of looking out, you know, into the backyard. And as she's doing that, I'm stuck in the playhouse and I realize that if I try to leave, she's going to see me, I'm going to get caught. I'm going to be in trouble, you know, but I start hearing what sounds like humming. So it sounds like it's several voices, but very low and just kind of like a drone, almost like bees, but very, very low, maybe kind of metallic sounding for lack of a better term. Um, and I'm not sure to this day if it was possibly growling, um, but it was some kind of vocalization and I'm really not even too sure if I've heard anything quite like it since because it was, it was from several individuals, but I looked next to, um, this birch tree next to me and I saw what looked like an eye staring at me through the V and I remember just a distinct black eye watching me and I, you know, flew out of the playhouse and ran home and um didn't go back for a little while as far as I remember and then one day I was in the backyard and I was on the path trying to go to where the playhouse was and I got cut off there was something that stepped in front of me and it was within I mean within like a foot and I look up into the face of this thing um that had kind of a dark blonde hair I mean maybe similar to Chewbacca but lighter you know in color and I just remember um black eyes um a black nose that was kind of very very slightly protruding from its face and the ears being more more lynx like only because they were They're pointed in sort of shapes that way. And um, this thing had the right side of its body blocking me. And it was just kind of looking down its nose at me and blinking. And I'm looking up at it. And then there's a noise that's behind it drawing its attention away from me. And I look past this blonde creature and I see another one. And this one is red, almost like an auburn. And I just remember eyes blinking from the boughs of a maple tree, but I couldn't make out any details on the thing's face of the red one. But the red one ended up turning itself around and it was standing in the middle of my um, parents' vegetable garden and it started to rip the plants out. And I remember saying, I'm gonna tell my dad on you and running into my house. And through the kitchen and when I turned around to shut the door, the blonde creature was standing on the other side of the stoop looking in. And that was when fear kicked in. Um, and I was afraid that it was going to come into the house, you know, and, and, try to, try to hurt us. Um, so I, I managed to shut the door. I went into the living room and I told my parents that there were monsters in the garden and they were, they were ripping things up. Um, and of course they didn't believe me. My dad, my dad was just like, yeah, all right. You know, and my mom didn't say anything. She just went into the kitchen and she looked out into the backyard and she said, Nope, no monsters. And then, you know, I think she just thought I was pretending or, or something.
3: Um, and
2: I, as far as I know, I remember, running over to the door and looking out and there was nothing there. Um, So I'm trying to remember the next (laughs) sequence of events, but I think think the next thing that I distinctly remember, um, and granted, this was a very long time ago, so there there could have been things that happened. Oh, yeah, actually, there was one thing that I do remember that did happen. Um, In that same house it was, it was a smaller house and it was, it was pretty much, you know, what my parents could afford, um, on teacher salaries at the time. And it was a two bedroom. So my, my parents had the downstairs bedroom and my sister had the upstairs bedroom, but there was sort of like an extra space, um, that they kind of stuck me in. That was sort of like a little, kind of like a little nook in my, in my area upstairs. And um, I remember at night, I would just wake up in the middle of the night and I would see what I remember now is several pairs of red eyes looking in the window. And I would feel afraid and I would try to ignore it. And I remember sometimes telling them to go away and they would just stay there watching. And so um, sometimes my parents would come upstairs to get me ready to go to school and they couldn't find me because I would be sleeping between the bed and the wall so that the eyes couldn't watch me. Wow. And I distinctly remember my father, yeah, my father finding me one morning and he was like, why do you keep doing this? Every time we come up here and we can't find you, you scare us. And I said, well, I'm doing it so that the eyes can't watch me. And and I just remember the look on his face, just this total disturbed, you know, look of, what are you talking about? You know? And, and I tried to explain to him that, at night, there are eyes looking in, and I, I think that was the first time I kind of learned what owls were i mean i was it was pretty young, but he said, well, maybe maybe' it's, maybe it's an owl and um so I was hoping that that's what it was and And I remember afterwards there'd be times when those eyes would show up, and I call them the owl, thinking that that's what it was. Um, I talked to my to a friend of my sisters who had come over to the house and was afraid of something and asked if he'd seen the owl. And I remember asking my sister if she'd seen the owl. So that's what it became in my mind was that it was an owl or owls looking in the window at me. But the next, um, the next incident that I remember, I'm thinking that there were probably other events that happened, um, just based on the creature's behavior that I I don't remember that I may have blocked out, but, um, there was a friend of my parents that came over with his little girl who was about my age and she was very shy and she wanted to be with her dad. And I remember she was kind of, kind of crying and everything. And she was upstairs playing with me and she'd be okay playing for a few minutes and then she just burst in, into tears again. And so I was trying to make her feel comfortable and I decided, okay, I'm going to show her the playhouse, you know, cause this, this, it was my big secret and it was really cool. And I thought that she would be perfectly happy to see it. So I brought her, you know, to the playhouse and we were having a great time sitting there playing. And then um, all of a sudden, the red creature that I had described, oh, and I realized I, I missed something. So, so just let me backtrack for just a minute. Yeah, go ahead. There was a second part to, to the garden. I think it was the next day or, or a couple hours later, my parents called me outside and the garden was destroyed, completely destroyed, completely ripped up. And my mom asked for me to tell the story again of what had happened. And I told her there were monsters in the garden and, and they tore everything up. So the first thought, cause they were really trying to make sense of it. The first thing they thought was maybe I had lied and I had torn, torn up the garden But then they were like, no, this mess is too huge. It couldn't have been her. And we also noticed that there were footprints. Um, And I didn't get a good look at them, but I, I do remember my mom pointing them out to my dad a few times. And he at the time was the high school band director. And he thought maybe some kids had come to, to vandalize the garden. And I remember my mom very distinctly saying, how do you explain the footprints? And so they kind of, they kind of made me <laughs> stay out there with them while they were in the garden and I remember cleaning up a little bit. So I, I'd forgotten to mention that part, but this made me, you know, talking about the red creature made me r- remember that part, but getting back to the second time of seeing the red creature walk by was when this little girl and I were in the playhouse and I mm-hmm. couldn't, I couldn't see its head. So again, this was a large creature but never saw what it was for sure. And it came walking past the playhouse and kind of made its way towards the, the, the house where this woman lived, but kind of veered off back into the trees and behind it came this, the blonde creature. Um, and, and I call it she, and you'll you'll figure out why in a minute. And I really can't help but call it she. But she kind of looked in the window, which were cut out. So I think this thing was made of wood or plastic. But she looked in the window at this little girl that was with me. And then she and I made direct eye contact, the, the creature and I. And the little girl just flipped out and started to cower in the in the corner and cry. And when this creature made eye contact with me... I dove under the little table that was that was in the house and she was instantly at the door the creature was instantly at the door had her feet in her legs and pretty much most of her torso kind of wedged in the door and started to make these vocalizations and I remember very jagged. They look jagged. That's really, I think from my mind that I can only describe her teeth as jagged, but I, I don't think they were jagged. I think they were just sharp teeth. But I remember her teeth and I remember her making these deep kind of gruddle, gruddle noises. And I don't think it was aggression. It almost seemed more like she was extremely amused with herself that she trapped us mm-hmm. in the, in the playhouse. And so this little girl is screaming hysterical. I'm screaming hysterical. We're both crying. She's got us trapped in there. She's got her feet wedged in there and you know, kind of kind of the shaggy blonde hair so it's not like I really got a very good look at her feet but almost like the tops of her feet seemed sort of um, almost like horseshoe in, in shape. That's really the only way I can describe it. It just was a really weird formation on top of her feet. And I remember screaming, and it got worse because the other girl ended up peeing herself, and which just escalated our terror and I remember finally just reaching out and pounding on this thing's feet and screaming at it to move, and the vocalization stopped and the, the showing of the teeth stopped and all of a sudden it just looked really taken aback aback and almost kind of offended that I had hit it, but she moved, she left. And I remember kind of reaching out for this other girl and, and just both of us just making it out of the house, kind of, or kind of stumbling down the path and her just covered, you know, in pee. And we started to hear her father's voice from my backyard calling, and I looked at her and, and I was like, let's just tell me you had an accident. And she said, okay. And so we ended up getting back into the yard and he was very upset that she, you know, had an accident and brought her home. And, um, you know, he asked before he left, though, he said, you know, what happened? And I said, she just got scared and, and she had an accident. But she, she was clinging to him. She was hysterical. I mean, you know, she was, she was an absolute mess from what had happened and I'm really not sure at the time what possessed me but I managed to go back into the woods and I started to walk around in the area where we'd been and I think I was afraid that this thing would come after me and I remember very distinctly saying I'm really sorry that I hit you but you made my friend cry and you made her pee herself, and um all of a sudden this creature was there again. And somehow we ended up sitting in front of each other. And I very distinctly remember sitting cross-legged and this thing mimicking me in sitting cross-legged and both of us just looking each other over. And I remember her reaching out her hand, which looked more mint-like and club-like and patting me on the head, um, and being so heavy handed that my teeth clicked and I could actually feel, you know, feel the weight of her hand in my neck, um, from the impact of hitting the top of my head and her just kind of looking me over, scrutinizing me. And the next thing I know, she sweeps me up and pins me against her side and I'm laying on the ground with her. And I remember the very distinct feeling of absolute terror thinking in my head, I am never going to see my mother again thinking this thing's going to carry me off. And I, nobody's ever going to know what happened to me. Um, you know, just all of these thoughts running through my head and just the sheer terror and the sheer panic just welling up. And for some reason, call it God, call it intuition, call it what you will. But I remember very distinctly a very strong thought coming into my mind saying, whatever you do, do not panic. And so I'm just laying there with this thing and I'm pinned to its side. And I remember her kind of shuffling her feet through the, through the, um, the leaves and I'm doing the best that I can to kind of calm down. And I finally end up trying to get as comfortable as I possibly can in that position. And I end up putting my, my right hand on her chest. And that's when I noticed, I mean, I noticed a couple of things. The first thing I noticed that it was definitely fur, um, definitely reminded me of the texture of, or reminds me now of the texture of like an Irish Wolfhound kind of wiry, yeah. No smell except um, the smell of leaves and dirt. Because um, I've had a lot of people ask me if there was a smell, but there was no smell. Um, she was a little oily. You know, I don't know if that was like natural or not, but I just, I remember kind of some oiliness. And I do remember what looked like the small rise of breasts underneath the fur. And so that's why I, I've called her she. Um And so I'm laying there and and she's kind of gurgling and making noises again, you know, not quite like before. And then all of a sudden she drops me and she flips over and she's on all four. And there is this deep menacing growl that just comes from like her core and her eyes are completely large and completely black. And then all of a sudden I hear my sister calling my name and I remember very distinctly looking at her and saying, Hey, that's my sister. And the growling stopped and she just kind of looked at me sideways and then she started to to crawl off on all fours. She's on all fours at this time, crawling off in the trees. And I turn around and I'm running to my sister and I'm saying, Hey, Hey, you got to come see my friend and my sister being really pissed off because my father was at home and he wanted to know, to know where I was. And she'd said that he'd been drinking and, you know, just, just, she wasn't making any sense pretty much, but she didn't care what was in the woods. She was like, you know, I'm in trouble now because I didn't know where you were and we're going home right now. So we get home, um, my father sits me down. He tells me that his friend called from the hospital cause he had to bring his daughter there because she was in absolute hysterics and they thought she was having a breakdown and that this little girl told her father everything. And so he wanted to know what happened and I didn't know what to say. And I was afraid to tell him the truth. So I remember saying she just got scared. And for a long time, my dad just kind of sat there and just kind of watched me. And he said, all right, as far as I'm concerned, you are forbidden from ever going into those woods again. And and I remember that because that was a new thing that I had learned, you know, during, during this whole time. I learned about Alice for the first time. And I remember learning the word forbid, and he had to explain to me what that meant. And he said, I don't, I don't ever want you going into those woods again. In fact, I don't ever want you playing in the backyard again, just stay in the front yard, stay, stay close to the house and just, just don't, please don't ever go back there. And I said, okay. Um, so I started to go and just play on the, on the front stoop. And I remember one afternoon being out there and she came back um, and, and she was kind of watching me from the corner of the house, you know, showing, showing her black eye, kind of like the way that she did the first time I ever saw her, which was through the, the birch trees and she was watching me play. And then she, she was showing like a little bit more of herself, but really just kind of having her body pressed to the house and watching. And I remember standing up and looking at her and saying, I'm very sorry, but I can't play with you anymore. And going back into the house. And the only other thing that I remember is that. And I don't know if it's connected to all of this, but it probably is. Is that there was one night that my my sister was not there. And she was spending the night at a friend's house. And um, my mother and my father and I were standing in our living room. And there was all of this racket on top of the roof. It sounded like thumping and pounding and just things screeching and making horrible noises. And all I remember was that the sun was going down and my parents were truly terrified and just staring at the ceiling. And we had a dog, we had a um, really crazy Border Collie that they adopted from the pound, but this thing, this thing had like a crazy history of she'd been part of a pack of wild dogs that they caught in the mountains. And she, she was a tough dog. She was great with us, hated everybody else. And she was laying in the middle of the floor, just shaking. And my father, after several minutes of just, I think debating of what he was going to do, he told my mother to pick me up and he picked up the dog and we all, all four of us climbed into the bed in their, in their bedroom after my dad made sure that the door was locked and that the windows were locked. We all got in bed and I remember just laying there listening to these horrible noises until I fell asleep. And I remember the next morning he got up and he just kind of checked everything and everything seemed okay. And as far as I know, that's, that's all that happened there. Um, as far as Dogman. Um the only the only other instances that I had that I can remember, I mean, none of this is quite as extensive as Sasquatch, which if we have time we can get into. Sure, absolutely. But right, with Dogman, I do remember that when I was about eight years old we were in the same town, different house. I hated this house too. It, it had, I mean, you want to talk about paranormal, excuse me. There was just something wrong with this house. I've only lived in one other place that was maybe remotely as, as close to it. As intense as this place. My sister and I suffered night terrors um, for years and didn't tell each other. I mean, that's, that's how bad it was. Um, we were both seeing things. We were both seeing what looked like red eyes in the corners, like the dark corners of the house at night. My father was just really adamant about trying to save energy and like, you know, and, you know, I know I that you're from the North and you know, how dark it gets this time of year early. Yeah. And so he would make us just, yeah, we would just have to shut everything down. No lights, no, no nothing. And after dinner, it would be terrifying to go upstairs at night. Like I, I couldn't do it without the lights on because I, I would swear that there would be something up there watching me or that I would, and glimpse like red eyes from the corner. Um, my room, it was a Dutch colonial house and my room was connected to the attic. So there was a door that led upstairs into the attic. And I remember many times hearing, hearing something that would walk on the roof outside my window because it was, it was kind of hard to, to explain it, but there was like an enclosed porch a roof on top of that and then our bedroom windows were above that porch and my sister and I would both hear something walking on that roof and we would both hear something walking on the top roof where above the, above the attic but I would also hear a few times something coming in through the attic window inside the attic walking around and coming down the stairs to my room. And I would always keep the door locked and bolted and something would try the door occasionally. So I'm assuming it's, it's what I saw because I've heard other stories of dogmen coming into people's houses. Okay. And when I was about eight years old, I got up in the middle of the night to go use our bathroom and the window looking out faced our driveway and um, some wooded section of the neighborhood. And I remember looking out and seeing what at first I thought was just a German shepherd, um, across the street near our driveway. And I remember watching it kind of look around and then all of a sudden it just sort of zeroed in on the bathroom window and and me, and then it stood up and it stood there and the legs looked straight. I mean, the, the chest looked muscular. The arms looked long and I remember it baring its teeth, but it was more like the way that a dog smiles. Like, and the feeling that I got was that it knew I was afraid and it, and it liked the fact that I was afraid of it. And so I remember, and for a while during my childhood, I couldn't remember why I I was so traumatized by this, that I actually blocked out the reason. But if I, after that, if I was going to go to the bathroom and it was dark, I would walk into the bathroom and I would feel around for the, for the window and I would shut the curtains before I would do anything in that bathroom. I couldn't have the curtains open. Um, but it was because of this incident and I'm trying to think, I I actually just brief. Oh yeah. Um, the only other really strange thing in that house that could have been possibly related was during the summertime, we would sleep with the screens open. And I I remember there were a few times when my sister was watching me and we were home alone and we would hear what sounded like nails being or claws. I mean, I I don't really know what it was, Um, but they would be scratching the screen and then we would go to the window and we would look out and we would never, never see anything. Except I do remember a few times uh, my parents finding screens in the house that were, absolutely shredded and they would have to replace, but they always blamed the cats, which was impossible. So, um, I'm trying to think if there was anything else connected to that house concerning, um, what I believe I saw was, you know, as dog man, but I can't think of anything else pertaining to it. Um, and then if I was going to get into the next incident that I remember, For sure. That would be after my parents had split up and my mother and I moved away from Vermont and I went back to visit, um, my best friend during the summer and she had a slumber party. So she, she invited one of our friends from school and her cousin over. Um, and so it was four of us girls and I'm not really sure what drew our attention outside, but where she lived, um, there was a lot of strange stuff around her house too. It was the same town that I was having sightings in. It was just the other side of town. Um, And she was close to the river and the high school. And I think her dad had about two acres of land. And um, I remember when I was earlier in the day, she was telling me, that because they had chickens, they used to have a, chick- a chicken coop, but something was getting into the chicken coop at night and killing the chickens. And so he moved the, ki- the, um, the coop into the garage and he used to leave it unlocked, but something was going into the garage and killing these chickens. And so finally he would have to lock the chickens up at night so that whatever it was that was killing them could not get into the garage. Well, I think pretty soon after he made that decision, whatever it was, got, got pretty pissed and was, was outside the house. I'm going to say, I believe it was probably about 25 or 30 yards away from the house. And something was throwing rocks at the house, but it wasn't like, it wasn't large rocks. It was almost like a spray of pebbles and whatever this is, I had a really mean arm and, we were at least 15 or 20 feet up off the ground because they converted her attic into bedrooms. So it was, it was, you know, up there and it's throwing rocks at the house. And when we get a good look, we see red eyes and they're very almond shaped, which was what was kind of strange about it. But I start watching these eyes and they're periodically standing up very tall. Maybe I'm thinking maybe 10 feet. And there's all this racket going on in the woods behind it, but we can't see where it's coming from. But these eyes are watching the house. They're watching us. And I'm watching them every once in a while sink all the way down to the ground, come all the way back up. And another spray of rocks would hit the house. And every time a car came and was getting close, the eyes would, would zero in on the car watch until the headlights got too close and looked and it looked as if it turned its head away, but it was really hard to make it out. So it was like the head would turn away. The car would drive by, you know, a few seconds later, the head, it looked like the head was turning around and the eyes were looking at us again and it would go, go back to throwing rocks at the house. And so all of us were afraid. And I remember, after a while, just kind of very instinctively just sort of pinning myself to the wall and trying to hide from from this thing in the window, um, and, the, and not wanting it to see me and everything. And the very, and this went on for a while, um, some parts of the night, and none of us really slept, and we were all pretty scared. And it went on until her dad came home. Like he worked third shift, I think, at, at like a one of the factories in town. And she insisted that she was going to stay up until he got home. And once he did, she, you know, she had a conversation with him. And I think she told him what happened. I'm not sure if he believed her or not, but after I had left town, um, to go visit, I think my sister that was up North at college at the time, she told me that that the thing came back for a few more nights and did the same thing. Now the next disturbing connection to that incident is not too long ago, I found a picture of myself that she took from that slumber party. And if you look in the window, there's a pair of eyes watching me. And it's highly disturbing. I had it um, sent off and analyzed to a friend of mine that's that part of the BFRO in um, New Mexico. And he said, whatever it is, it's real. And it looks like it's some sort of canid. Wow. So, that's a very yeah. It's a very disturbing reminder of that night. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to think.
0: So, do honestly, you, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. I I'm sorry. I'm curious. Do, do you think that this thing is following you around, or do you think it's different ones?
2: Oh, I think it's different ones. I don't. I don't see how. Actually, I don't know. You know, it, being that it was in the same town, maybe. Being that it was in the same town, it could have been just like a clan of these creatures, and, and there was some sort of familiarity with with my family. I mean, in, in a way, it kind of sounds humor humorous because it's a small town, you know. But maybe there was. I don't. I don't know. Other than um, the creature that I saw outside my house at eight, at eight years old was not the same creature that I encountered in my backyard. But it's um, been suggested to me that the creature that through the rocks because of um, the description I give as the eyes I was told by a couple of researchers that they think that that was a type three and that the first creature I encountered was also a type three dogman. So it's really, really hard to know for sure. Um, one incident that happened that I think is interesting and still is kind of inclusive is my best friend, whose, whose house that I talked about where I was at the slumber party, her sister's best friend got attacked by something not far from their house. Um, there was a path that led that um, kind of led to the shopping plaza and she was taking it, I think, to go to work. Um, actually, as far as I remember, I think she was leaving working and she was going to go spend the night at their house with my friend's older sister and it was still daylight out so I think this was summer it was still pretty light out and she said that she was on the path and then all of a sudden there was just this man quote unquote that was dressed in all black that was really really huge and the only thing other thing that she remembered is something hit her on the head and she woke up on that path hours later and she was covered in blood from something cutting her head. And she ended up running to my best friend's house and knocking on the door. And their parents found her and they brought her to the ER. And all she could could tell the doctors and the police that showed up and her parents, um, once they showed up, was that some very, very large man, um, all dressed in black, knocked her out. And nothing was stolen. I mean, she wasn't assaulted in any way. She was just hit. She said that she never saw the face that she never even actually saw the head of whatever it was or whoever it was, because she was very short. I think she was only like four nine. And so before she even had the chance to actually get a look at whatever this was, it had already knocked her out and just left her there cold until she woke up. So, that has always been an enigma. Um, I'm not in touch with that family right now just because we've just fell out of out of connection from, you know, life. So I don't really know whatever came of that, but it was really, really strange that it was in the same area um, during the, the same time frame of life that that happened.
0: Wow, some of those stories actually remind me of other stories that I heard from other people. So uh, let's take a break right now and we'll get into some of those stories when we come back from the break. We'll be right back, everybody. some of these stories, it it reminds me of some other people's stories that have been told to me, uh, like the last Mm -hmm. experience you just shared, you know, I I was talking to a woman who, now she said that she saw, not that she saw, but that her, her boyfriend and her children were escorted out of of an area here in Pennsylvania while they were fishing. And uh, Mm -hmm. one of the things that was happening was rock throwing. So there all these rocks yeah. were being thrown at them. They ran and she I think she was heading up behind everybody else and they're coming up this path to mm-hmm. like where the truck was parked and something hit her on the back of the head and knocked her clean out on the path and she wakes up with her boyfriend and her brother helping her up trying to get her into the truck. And so like that mm-hmm. just that, you know when you just shared that with me that, that's the first thing that I thought of like these are that that's a similar thing now. She as far as I remember, she never saw what was throwing the rocks, but her daughter did. Mm-hmm. Her daughter saw something playing peekaboo is what she said it was doing uh behind mm-hmm. a tree from her and her daughter's just a little girl and so when they get home, her daughter draws what she saw. And so what her daughter drew, you know, if you're if you have Sasquatch on the mind, it looked like a sasquatch but thinking back at it mm-hmm. if you had dogman on the mind it very well could have looked like a dogman too so it's just an interesting parallel mm-hmm.
2: yeah it's really, it's really hard to know um but even even in just you know talking to other people and just doing my own research it's like there's definitely similarities um even between both cryptids there's some similarities which i think a lot of, a lot of people are either in the camp of arguing that they're completely different or really just kind of accepting that they're very similar. There's, there's just certain behaviors that are similar, but it's also, you know, as far as we know, there are animals that live in packs or groups. So that might be part of the reason why, why they do certain things. And I don't, I don't know if they like to attack people because they think it's fun or if they're honestly just trying to protect something else. Like, you know, maybe maybe it was like, okay, you're getting way too close to something young, and and before you stumble upon it, they're they're going to take you out. I don't I don't know. You know, it's it's really hard to know. Um, I don't believe there's any experts in in this field because nobody has been able to go out and live amongst these you know, twenty four seven for like a year. You know, it's just, so it's just it's really hard just to swallow anybody um, saying that they're an expert because I just until somebody does that, I think it's very hard to say that you're an expert. I think it's great when we can gather data and and stories and encounters and see all the the similarities and and how they harmonize, you know, but it's, it's just hard to know. So, um, the next incident, this one is, is weird. Um, not that they're not all weird, but this, this (laughs) one's, One of the ones that kind of has me very confused as to what exactly it was that I saw, but I was with a friend of mine and, um, it was, it was high school and we skipped school and there was, I think four or five of us that skipped school and we went to my best friend's house. And this, this incident was in Massachusetts. I was living in Massachusetts at the time with my dad. And there was this little country store, um, and so, I don't know, we split up for a little while and, um, myself and this boy that, um, I had a crush on decided to take a walk on the railroad tracks and we're walking along the railroad tracks, not very far from, from where everybody else is. And all of a sudden we just see this thing standing in the middle of the railroad tracks and I I'm trying, you know, I, I'm i visual, so I always try to give, like, an estimated, you know, how far it was. And I'm thinking about, it probably was about 50 feet from us. Maybe closer, maybe 40 feet. It was, it was close enough, definitely, to see its eyes. But the thing about this this creature was that it was tall. It was a, t- a chocolate brown. And I remember it having the weirdest shaped head it was like it was conical like some sasquatches are described as but i remember his ears were kind of elongated but it had more of a muzzle and i remember very distinct black eyes and its teeth you know showing so you can see the variations like um the ones that i've encountered have shown their teeth for the most part and I'm assuming it's aggression to a certain degree, but this thing was showing its teeth and it was looking at my, you know, my guy friend and then it would turn and it would look at me and it was staring at both of us with just pretty, pretty deep interest. And I remember both of us like looking at each other and just goose white and we don't know what we're looking at, but we pretty much turn and just run and scooby-doo up, up the, um, the railroad platform to get away from whatever this was. And then I made him stop for a minute because I wanted to see if it was following us. And we could see it going down, you know, walking through the limestone down into the trees away from us. And we ended up running to the store and finding our friends and telling them what we saw. And, of course, they didn't believe us. So, um, you know, we just, we stopped talking about it after a while and I think that they kind of got to the point where they're like, okay, well, you guys probably saw something of it. I think, you know, bear came up and there was no bears in that area or, or dog, you know, and we were trying to trying to tell them that it wasn't because it was, it was standing upright. Um, and the strange thing about this, and you asked me about them following me, um, I think it was the same week, but I was in the next town over, which, you know, was not very far, maybe 20 minutes. And I was at my grandmother's house. Cause at that, at the time my dad and I lived with her and I was getting ready to go to bed. And I was, you know, pulling the shades down. And I remember, just looking out into the woods behind her house. And uh, cause I've always, I've always liked nature anyway. And, um, you know, and it was just a really pretty night, but it was really dark. And I just was kind of looking out for a minute and somehow my attention was drawn to the ground right below my window. And so I'm looking at the ground and all of a sudden I see these eyes. So I think, I think I'm guessing something turned its head and was looking up at me. And there's these very vivid yellow eyes. And all of a sudden, it stands up and it's looking in the window pane at me. And I mean, there's nothing but glass between me and it. And I remember pretty much jumping into my bed and pulling the covers over my head and then hearing something smack the house and these god awful, just growls that really for lack of a better term to sound demonic and I'm laying there and I'm terrified and trying to tell myself that it's all in my head, that it's not happening and things get quiet and, but I can't sleep and I'm laying there thinking, okay, well maybe, maybe I really just imagined that maybe that really didn't happen. And then my dad comes home and his lights kind of flood over the house and he's pulling into the driveway And as soon as that happens, this thing just screeches and I can all of a sudden hear it moving through the trees and it sounds like sticks being snapped and, and stuff being thrown around like this thing is pissed off that my dad showed up and the terror just kind of washes all over me again. And I remember really just being freaked out. And not wanting to go into the, into that room for the longest time. And but the thing about this, and I, I don't know. Okay, I am really on the fence as to what exactly this was. First of all, I don't know if it was it was if it was the same creature that I encountered on those aerocraft. It if it is, I don't know why. But um, it's been suggested to me that maybe. Whatever was outside of my grandmother's house, that it was more than one creature. Um, possibly there was more than one creature, I don't really know. Um, but what's disturbing about this thing that was on the railroad tracks is years later in my research, I came across these illustrations that somebody drew of a skinwalker. And it looks exactly like what I saw, what my friend and I saw, except there was no headdress. So I'm still trying to wrap my head around whether that's even a possibility. I've, I've talked to people. Um, I know, I know some people in the Navajo co- um, community that absolutely swear up and down that skinwalkers are real. Um, however, this incident happened in Massachusetts, and there. It's a large American, Native American, you know, presence, but I don't, I don't know if this just pertains to Native America or not, but it was, it was really weird. And just finding, finding that picture really kind of disturbed me. It actually really still disturbs me. And part of the reason why is because my daughter, um, who's a high schooler, went on, a, she went on a school trip to Florida and she's seen these pictures. She's had her own encounters with things and. Um, you know, has kind of looked into some things for herself, but she swears that she's also seen this creature. But when she saw it, she says that it was in Florida or not Florida, Georgia, like on the Tennessee, Georgia line that they were at a stop somewhere. And that something that looked like that creature was in the bushes, watching her and her classmates. So I don't know. Um, that's one of those ones that I probably will not get any real answers on. I mean, I probably won't get really, any real answers on anything, but it's also one of the ones that disturbs me the most. Um, so I don't, I don't know for sure, you know, what, what that one was at all. And I, I really kind of even hate thinking about the possibilities of what it was.
0: Yeah, of course. So, Yeah.
2: I had a really weird experience. I'm going to share this just because I don't know. And maybe maybe some of your listeners know a little bit. There's been some deliberations um, on whether or not dogmen can also send out infrasound the way that we think that Bigfoot possibly can, Sasquatch can. I had an incident happen to me um, as a teen, older, still living in the same area of Massachusetts, and I remember, um, I was a total metal head in, in high school and I, I had, I was like obsessed with Molly Crew. and we had these water towers near my house and I decided that I wanted to be a vandal one day and, um, write the lyrics to one of their songs on the side of this water tower <sighs> and it was a very kind of rural neighborhood, um, where I was at the time, sorry, would it, um, very pretty, you know, overlooking the ocean and the ocean was, was like way out there. Um, at the top of this hill, from where my house was, and so I decided that I was gonna gonna be a vandal, and I started to to put these lyrics on inside of the water tower. And all of a sudden, for some reason, I noticed that the trees are shaking, and I'm hearing a growling. But inside my mind, the image of a werewolf pops into my mind. And all of a sudden, I feel really dizzy and really sick. And I remember that I made it home. And I think it was a four-day weekend that I had off from school. And I remember I was sick all weekend. I could not get out of bed. I remember feeling dizzy every time I got up, excruciating headache. I don't remember if I had a fever or not. But that's like all that I remember. I was, I was out of it for four days after that happened. So I didn't actually see anything. It was just more like I had the picture of this pop into my mind and then I got sick. So I don't know if that was, if I had actually been what they called zapped by a dogman or not, but um, my very strong assumption and guess is that that's probably what happened. Cause it was, it was very strange and it's something that I've been trying to compare with other other folks, um, who have been zapped. And when I described it, they said that that's what it sounds like. And that apparently when it happens to you, it's like your body has to reset itself. So I don't know. And, And, um, I've had a few other people tell me that it would take them a few days, that they would feel sick for a few days before they felt normal again. So it was a very strange occurrence. Yeah. Okay. As far as dogman, I can't I can't remember anything else except um stuff that, that happened here. There are things that like I said that my children had experienced um as well. And I didn't know if you wanted me to include those, but um I could probably just talk about, you know, the things that happened here. Um because there there's a few incidents incidents of things that have happened to my kids here as well. Yeah. But as far as here, okay. So as far as here, uh, oh, and that's actually how, how that happened. Now now that I think about it, of my daughter actually coming to me finally and telling me that she was seeing things. Um, My daughter, and I'm going to go ahead and start with that. Okay. When my daughter was seven, we were visiting here. We were visiting my, my in-laws and Where they live, they have several, you know, several acres, about seven. Um, All of it kind of runs into, I think it's a state park, but it's just, I mean, several, several acres of woods, you know. And when she was about seven, she was outside playing in the front yard, which is enormous. And she was playing in the creek bed and to get into the driveway, you have to go over a bridge and she's playing by the bridge. And she said that she thought her grandmother's dog was under the bridge. And so she, she was sitting next to it and she reached out her hand and she started to pet it. And then she said, all of a sudden this face turned for her. And all she remembers is yellow eyes and all these teeth and it's screaming and her screaming and her running back into the house and her telling her grandma what she saw and I had been upstairs and I and I came down and I said, Can you tell me can you tell me what happened? And the first thing out of my mother in law's mouth was, Oh, she just imagined it and I and I just kinda of looked at her and said, Oh, okay, uh, why don't you tell me what happened? You know, it's my daughter and she said, Well, I thought I was petting um Grandma's dog under the bridge, but it was something else. And she thinks now that it could have been. She thinks it's possible that it was a baby Sasquatch, possibly a dogman. Um, I'm leaning a little bit stronger towards dogman because there's been a lot of stuff on the property. Um, let me see. I, I think around that same time, my husband and I had gone hiking in the woods and we found this really strange print that I'd never seen before. And it was, um, sort of triangular, like the there was a heel that looked almost human-like, but then it sort of kind of flattened out and got wide and then sort of the toes were slayed. And it was very strange. And I was thinking, okay, maybe that's, that's a squatch print. Um, it was a very odd squatch sprint, you know, and, and, at that time I was kind of a closet researcher, um, it was something that my, that my soon to be ex had, had a, just a very strong problem, problem with, you know, he thought the whole thing was nonsense and it was ridiculous and everything. Um, uh, and he doesn't know about some of the incidents, incidences that had happened in my life and, um, know whether he believed or not, but but I remember him teasing me and saying, "Hey, is that not the blonde one of your friends?" And I said, "It looks like it." Um, and we, when we moved here in the spring of '15, we went back there again and we found this beautiful track that I so so wish I had photographed it was absolutely beautiful. Um, very impressive. It looked very similar to a mountain lion. Now there have been sightings of, of large cats in this, in this part of the state. Um, also we have some kind of wolf here too, that I've actually seen in this neighborhood that I live in. Um, it's a type of red wolf that, um, that have made its way back into the state. But anyway, um, this track looked like a very large mountain lion's track, and we and just moved back to the side of the country from California, so I was used to seeing mountain lion tracks. The only difference was um, all cats, or all cats, retract their their claws in, so you'll never see their their claws out in a track unless there's you know a no reason for the, for them to be out, like them on the defense or offense. And this thing. Had these long claw marks that were also in the mud. And, you know, in, in comparison to a wolf's paw, I mean, this looked like a very large wolf's paw. But I was sitting there thinking, large cat. And I remember saying to my husband, I said, Oh, this is crazy because it looks like a mountain lion, but it's not. And I was pointing out the, the differences. And then looking at some other supposed dog man tracks and thinking that that's. Now that that's probably what it was, possibly. I mean, I'm not. I can't be absolutely positive because I didn't see what what made it. Of course, but um, given like other activity around their property, I'm assuming that that's that could have been what it is. Um, and we were living there when we first moved here, and I um, I was working at a hotel, and I would have to go in very early in the morning, like four thirty in the morning. And one morning, I came out. And it was dark and I hear the loudest, most moanful howl back in those woods where there'd been a history of tracks, just very low, very sad, very long, very wolf-like and just extremely haunting. Like whatever was making this noise was very lonely. It was, it was, it was weird. Um, and that's the only kind of vocalizations. I mean, I've heard almost heard what sounds like very large people talking occasionally or something talking back there. Um, I came out one morning to hear something saying, What? very loudly. It was like a very deep, deep voice saying, What? And that was very strange. Um, and that was across the street from where the howling noises were coming from. So to speed up things a little bit because there wasn't wasn't a whole lot that happened until I'm thinking it was the winter. It was the winter of 15. The winter of 15, we had really bad snowstorms down here in the South that, that, you know, everybody kind of went nuts and the city kind of shut down and everything. And I was at my hotel for a week. (laughs) So my, my, kids and their dad were at grandma's house for a week and I was stuck downtown at a hotel for a week because of how bad the weather was. And my daughter says that she was outside at grandma's house with her younger sisters and they were playing. All of a sudden she looks at the wood line and she says, there's this very big creature. And I think she said it pretty much looked like, like a bodybuilder but it had what looked like a wolf's head and it was just standing in the woods and it was watching her and it was watching, it was watching the other two girls and she was instantly afraid, but because she didn't want to draw attention, you know, and she didn't want her sisters to see it. She very calmly said, okay, it's cold. Let's, let's go back inside. And so she told me about this later that this had happened. Um, and I think it was the same winter. I took a picture of my daughter, my youngest daughter outside and she wanted a snowball fight. So she made a snowball and I took a picture of her and behind her is the neighbor's land and they have horses. And at the edge of the wood line, which connects up to her grandmother's woods, um, I caught on camera what I'm thinking is the same individual very large standing at the wood line um the only way I can describe it is a lichen I mean it it looked a lot like like the werewolves in um the underworld movies just huge muscle-bound powerful and just standing there watching us so I catch a picture of this thing Um, and and it was completely on accident. I just had gotten into the habit of any pictures that I take on their property of anything. I just have the tendency to blow it up and to see if I can catch anything after. And, and I did. And the only problem with this is it's so pixeled out. It's really hard to tell, but it's there. And I, it's another photograph that I had analyzed. And, um, you know, my friend that that looked at it said that, you know, whatever, there's definitely something there. It's just hard to tell what it is. So that happens. Um, And also around the land, we started to see these really strange stick formations, which to me, I think look a lot like hieroglyphs. And that's something I can send you. So I took a picture of one of them and sticking its head out behind a tree. When I snapped this picture is what looks like a dog, Um, not the same individual, As this really, really large lichen creature that we have seen, but something else that just looks like a dog peeking at me while I I take the picture of this hieroglyph. Stick formation. Um, And let me see. So, the following year, the following October, my daughter, oldest daughter, is at her grandmother's house again, and this time she's spending the night with one of her cousins. We, We have... (laughs) We have an allergy for some reason, too, talking about things that run through the family. My dad and myself and my daughter are all allergic to banana, like we'll go into anaphylactic shock.
3: I don't know why. Yikes.
2: But, um, yeah. So she ends up having this popsicle that her grandma bought popsicles, not really paying attention to her allergies. And my daughter gets a popsicle, takes a bite, swallows it and tastes banana. And she starts to freak out (coughs) and she decides that she wants to force herself to throw up to get the, you know, get it out. And so she goes outside and she, she ends up throwing up and, um, she comes back inside and her cousin's asking her what's going on. And she tells her, she said, okay, well, let's go clean it up. So they're outside at grandma's house and they grab the hose and they're hosing, hosing, you know, hosing the area down. And my niece looks towards the wood line. Actually, not even the wood line. This is like a cluster of trees that's in their backyard. That's probably about 15, 20 feet from the door. And she says that that she was looking and that there was this large werewolf creature staring at her and my daughter. And she turned the hose on this thing, apparently. So she turns the hose on this thing, sprays it. She said it in the face. And that it just... Bounded out of there and leaped over the fence into the horse pasture and ran into the woods. Um, my daughter was too busy and wasn't paying attention, but her cousin told her exactly what she saw and she didn't, she didn't say anything other than, okay, I believe you, but let me know immediately. I mean, she called me to let me know about the banana, but then, you know, she was like, well, don't, don't worry about that. You know, I'm okay. I took the Benadryl, but you'll never guess what, you know, what so-and-so saw, and so um, I'm thinking it was the same individual, the the main individual that hangs around, so um, winter comes around again, and my daughter is periodically seeing this, and at the time, she and her brother were going to the same high school, which was probably about five miles from grandma's house also kind of out in, in the country surrounded by farms and, and hills and everything else. And my son, I picked up my son one night from, um, a game that he had and he gets in the car and he's kind of quiet. And I'm like, okay, what's, what's, what's the matter? What's bothering you? And he was like, mom, I think I saw a dog, man. And I said, okay, I said, how do you know? And he was like, well, first of all, I'm mad because you know, I didn't believe, I didn't believe your stories and I didn't believe any of this, but I don't know what else it was. And I said, okay, well tell me what happened. And he says, well, um, we were doing laps, you know, to, to get ready for our meet and everything. And I'm all the way down on the other side of the football field that face, you know, the woods and, and the farm. And all of a sudden I see, I see a car driving through the farmer's field with a box on top of it. And this thing that looks like a werewolf chasing the car. And I said, all right, "So are you serious? He's like, yeah, he's like seeing, seeing something that looks like a werewolf not bothering me as much as why was the car driving in the middle of the field? And and I just kind of laughed at him because it's like, that's, that's just what his mind got stuck on. <laughs> you know, not, not, I saw this creature, why is there a car with a box on top driving in the middle of this farmer's field? So, um, so he, he described it. He said, it looked like it was very big and it looked, it moved so, so swiftly that it just kind of looked like shadow. But he was like, well, I, I believe you now. And, and I said, yeah, I said, I told you, you know, I told you that I've been seeing this and, your sister's been saying this um, so I think that 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 was his incident, and my last sighting um, my last clear sighting was well over a year ago now, so fall of we're in eighteen, so fall of seventeen no fall of sixteen fall of sixteen um, I was leaving my in-laws to do something. And I, I believe it was probably evening, but I remember, um, leaving the house, going to the driveway to get into my car and, um, looking at the wood line that's at the back of their property and standing there in all, all his majesty was the same creature that, um, that we've been seeing very large, very Brown. Um, honestly, it's like it kind of reminds me more like a grizzly bear I think because of height but just the sheer mass and size of this thing's head was incredible huge huge head Um, I don't know how many yards I don't know Uh, I want to say maybe 70 yards but just standing there, definitely standing in plain sight, you know, where I could see him um, almost with an expression on his face of being on guard, you know, and kind of being stoic and just sort of like, okay, like you can see me and I can see you now let's see what's going to happen. And I remember very intentionally the fear the fear I felt is kind of hard to explain. It was almost like reverence. You know, it's almost the acknowledgement of knowing this thing, if this thing wants me, it can get to me super fast and it could take off with me and I would never be heard of again. Um, but it was, it was weird because it was almost like, like it was letting me know that it was there. Um, but it didn't it didn't do anything you know it just sort of stood there and just kind of watched me walk to the car and i just chose to kind of not pay as much attention to it as possible because i don't know i just almost almost felt like that would make it worse and so um so i just kind of got in the car and drove away um and like i said you know there's a few photographs that have been snapped around the place that have picked up some really weird stuff and i'll, I'll send those to you but that's my last clear sighting since I have been in Tennessee of a dogman. Now, what my, my kids and I are going through now, I've been in this house that I'm at since May, and two days two or three days in, two or three days in, there was a really good windstorm and I don't think it's the explanation for this because cause it's just probably not possible. But I get up, go to work, and at that time I was going in, at, Like depending on, on when I had to be there, I'd either be up at 3.30 in the morning or 4.30 in the morning to get ready for work. And this was one of those mornings where I had to go in really early, so it was super dark, but I remember coming out to my car And behind my house is a canal that connects to um, a series of creek beds that lead into the Cumberland River. I am literally three miles from a very beautiful park that is all river bottoms. So, and it's very wooded, very secluded very thick woods too, but there's lots of bike trails and there's some playgrounds and that kind of stuff down there. So anyway, um, when it rains, this canal behind my house, um, starts to flow and all of the water pretty much is going into the river. Um, so three mornings in, I'm going to work and in that canal, it was dry. It was dry at the time in the trees. I think I see eye shine. And and I'm not sure what it is, but, you know, I'm not going to, not going to really, really concentrate on, on it too much because I have to go to work. Now, when I come home, I come home to these massive, high up tree breaks and twists. I mean, these things were, these, these valves were thick. They were probably a good 20 inches in diameter. And it's the V of a tree and there's two of them that are twisted and broken and the branches are laying on top of my house. And I go into my house and I ask the kids if they've heard anything. And this is over my son's room. Actually, whatever this is, it it just landed, landed on the roof or was put on the roof over my son's room. And he said, he was like, no, I didn't, I didn't hear anything. Nobody heard anything. And there's no way that you could not have heard something. I mean, it's very mysterious that they didn't, but they didn't even know that it had happened. And so I had to call my landlord and he had to have some, a crew come out and because of the sheer size of these limbs, you know, cut everything down safely. So that happens. Then I think about a month later, my car, my car was broken down and, it was, it was a rough summer. Um, my first, you know, summer going through all of this stuff. Um, you know, in my personal life and with my family, um, on top of it, my car breaks down. So I have a coworker of mine coming to pick me up at about four in the morning and I go outside to wait and there's this raccoon rummaging around in my trash. Now I don't like raccoons. And I know that that probably sounds silly considering the subject matter that we're talking about, but I'm actually afraid of raccoons. Okay. I just, they're mean little vicious creatures and you know, up North, they, they've been known to carry rabies. So it was really, I'm really leery of of raccoons. So I go back to the house and this raccoon comes onto my porch and is mean mugging me through the window and everything. And and I'm not going outside until I know it's gone. (laughs) And, um I have the kitchen window open and I hear this crack and this and this boom is something crash. And so I look out the window and I see the the raccoon is hightailing it into the trees. And it, but it's really too dark to tell what's going on. So I go back outside, um, and I'm I'm texting my coworker because he'd he'd never been to my house at the time to pick you know, to pick me up and he wasn't sure he was going. And I'm sitting on the porch and all of a sudden I see this car slow down um, at the end of my driveway. And I'm like, Oh, okay, well that must be him. And the car's just sitting there and I'm walking down the driveway. And then all of a sudden I look on the street and there is this large tree limb that is laying perfectly straight across the street so that this car can't get through. So that was the noise I heard in the house. So while I was in the house, there's no wind, there was no weather, there was no nothing. It was perfectly still. Somehow this tree limb cracked and made a bunch of noise and ended up in the street blocking traffic. So I instantly, and I think I still have the video of this. I instantly record it. I take pictures and I send it off to, um, a friend of mine who, who has a show, which I've, I've also been on and who's a researcher. And I was like, you're not going to believe what just happened. And, you know, so I was showing him all of this stuff, you know, and I, I documented what time it was. And I was like, I can't explain this. Okay. A couple of weeks ago, I had a massive tree break in from one tree in my yard. Now I've got a second one. And so, so I mean, so it was, it was insane. Um, so that was the second tree break.
0: Yeah.
2: Now, while we're here, um, I'm starting to hear things like, you know, footsteps on my roof. Um, one morning when I was getting a ride from a coworker, I came out and I heard what sounded, the way I can describe it is like a chuff. So it was kind of like a <clears throat> noise and it was coming from the dark side of my house. And I heard something very large walking away and making its way back into the trees behind my house. Um, obviously didn't see it, don't know what it was. Uh, but I come home later that day and I start to tell my kids and my son, who's the oldest said, Oh yeah, I've been hearing stuff in the back of the house. And I was like, what? He was like, Yeah, there's something that growls at me at night. And I was like, Why didn't you say anything to me? And he was like, Well, because I wasn't sure. And so he just, he was describing the noise as, you know, very low, but so low that it almost felt like a vibration, like he could feel the noise and hear it at the same time. And he said, You know, whatever it is, I don't think it's making that noise to scare me. I think it's letting me know that it's there. And I said, okay. Um, I said, you know, that's a possibility. I said, but if it does it again, you know, can you, can you let me know? And he was like, yeah, yeah, most definitely. He said, he said, sometimes he said like, there was a period of time where it was nightly that he was hearing it. And I don't think he's hearing things. Actually, the last time he mentioned it was about a month ago. He mentioned hearing something outside. So Um, fast forwarding a little bit, um, a little later into the summer. It's a really hot day. And my AC was broken for a while. I've got, I've got the doors open. My kids are watching TV. It's about five in the afternoon. Traffic is starting to pick up on my street from everybody going home. And I go outside to, to make sure that my car is locked up for the night. And in between the first Break first tree that was broken, and the second tree that was broken is this other little tree. And as I'm walking towards my car, I notice a third tree break, and I just stop, and I'm like, you, "You've got to be kidding me!" <laughs> and um take my phone out, take pictures, and I remember very distinctly as I, I, I saying in my yard, "Can you guys please stop breaking my trees? Because I'm going to get in trouble with my landlord." you know, cause there's just no way to explain it. You know, it's like, it definitely makes me and my kids look guilty. Like we're walking around breaking his trees somehow, you know? So, um, I haven't had one since then, which is kind of amazing to tell you the truth, but I very, just distinctly, very loudly said, please stop breaking my trees. Um, but I documented that one as well. It's on a lot of this is on my, my, my group's, um, Facebook page, but I documented that as well. Cause I just couldn't believe it. And I, I went in and I told the kids and they came out and looked and they were both, they were all talking about, well, how come we didn't hear anything? And I was like, I don't know. And look what time it is. And we've got cars moving up and down the street and here we go with another tree break. Um, so that was kind of crazy. But, um, later on in the year or not the year, but just in the months that I've been here, I discovered some really strange stuff. Like more and more, I was starting to see some, some, footprints in a particular spot in the yard. Um, lately I have not seen it and I don't know if it's just because it's winter and there's less, less coverage, but I would come out in the morning and I would find footprints in certain spots. I would also start to find rocks. Okay. I have these weird, interesting rocks that were just being left on, on the spot near these footprints, hairs on my car, really, really strange hairs that I was trying to collect so I could get them analyzed and and they were just so thin and delicate that I couldn't, I couldn't collect them. Um, and just the continuance of something walking around on the roof, um, strange growling noises outside, strange smells, really weird phantom smells at times. Um, everything from like smelling flowers, just smelling something that would just smell sickly sweet. And um I don't know if you're familiar with Simon Young. He's a yaoi researcher in Australia, but I've talked to him a little bit about some of these smells. And when I've described to him the sickly sweet smell, he said that he thinks that that's, that's the breath of Sasquatch. Like that's, that's, that's their breath and that they're really close by, but they're hiding and you can't see them. So, I mean, I don't know. Because, like I said, I haven't had a sighting to know what I'm dealing with, but I've had all kinds of different shapes of footprints. I've had things that look like Sasquatch, and I've, I've always kind of highlighted this stuff, sent the pictures off to, to other researchers, and been like, what do you think? You know, you know, do you know what this is? Have you seen this? And I've had people tell me Sasquatch and Dogman. So it's really hard to know um, for sure what I've got going around the house, but... Uh, my children have all heard thuds. Some of them have been so loud that they've woken us up at night. Um, and in fact, and I'll send, I'll send this to you too. There was one day, when was it? I'm going to, uh, I want to say September or October. I found, I, started, I was starting to find some hieroglyphs in my yard. So some weird stick formations and I'm filming and I'm filming in the direction of where this canal is in my backyard that was all covered um, by foliage and stuff. And the camera picks up something that I still can't explain. I just still don't know what it is, but I'll send you a picture. Honestly, and we talked about this earlier before we started recording how I was giving you an example about feeling skeptical skeptical if I'd seen like, you know, about, about alien greys or something because I'd never right. seen one of those. So I'm kind of on the fence. But there is something in the canal and I don't know what it is. Um, I had somebody tell me they just thought it was a baby Sasquatch. But it's very strange looking and it had a bulbous head and just this just really weird skinny little body. Um, and you can see it moving on the video. And again, it was another thing that I had analyzed and was told that whatever it is, it's definitely organic and it's real. So I'll have to pass that along to you, too, because I don't I don't know what that is, but. It's just some of the really weird stuff that um, that I've been dealing with living here. Wow! So that's that's all the dog man stuff. Now Bigfoot. I don't know how much time you have because that's more extensive and um, that's up to you. But there's there's a lot on that too. Really? Um, and we can yeah, and we can always do this a second time if you really want to. Um, because there's a lot more, that was just dog, man. There's just a a lot more stuff concerning, um, Sasquatch. But, uh, and actually I'm going to send you another picture because there is, there is a really, it was a very impressive break that I found, but I I want to show this to you because I want to see if you can actually see him. Um, so I took a picture of this. I mean, it was huge tree, huge tree. And, And I don't, I don't know how these guys do it. I mean, I guess it depends on size and strength and whatever, but I'm guessing this tree could have been very easily about fifty maybe 50 inches in diameter, and it was um on the other side of town near where my where my in-laws live, and it was right along the the highway, you know, and I'd wanted to stop for the longest time and photograph it because I was just so impressed with it, but I mean it's high speed, everybody's doing like 80. But one day I finally managed to stop and I take a picture of it. And when I'm looking at the picture later, there's a very distinct face that you can see. And it's, it's beautiful, honestly. Um, very impressive. Some very big fellow is, is watching me take a picture and his face is, the the texture and color of his face is kind of like a very deep dark gray, but it's very human-like. And there's an orb right next to his head, kinda of pointing him out. So I'll have to send that to you because I am pretty sure that's a squash, but it's 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 a nice picture. Cool. Um that I caught accidentally. Yeah. So um that's that's what I got on Dogman. Um you know, and I've like I said, I've been I've been researching this on my own as well, mostly for closure. Um And like I had said, when I first, I was so terrified to talk about this stuff for so long. And when I, when I first did, um, my mind was so focused on what happened in early childhood that I really feel like I kind of relived the trauma of that experience of dealing with this, the, the one, the recurrence of this blonde female one that would, you know, come to my house and everything that was really, really tough to talk about. That was very hard to talk about. Um, in fact, at first I didn't even, I didn't tell Vic everything because I was scared he'd think I was crazy. Sure. And I think for a while I felt like I was, you know, um, I've heard some similar stories, but at the same time, I'm so busy. I can't, I can't like listen to all the interviews and all the stories that are out there but I'm so curious to know what other people's experiences are just, just to kind of, you know, compare them because um, I know mine was different and it it really, it really, really was. But um, at the same time, I was so tired of, of living with it and not, not getting it out there because this, it's a very lonely thing. This subject matter is a very lonely thing to live with. If you don't feel like you can talk about it, you know, but that's that's all I got for you.
0: <laughs> that's fine. Uh, I I guess yeah. You know, kind of wrapping it up here. Then you know, what are your thoughts on what Dogman is? I mean, you you've done so much looking into it, so I mean, um, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Okay, I think I think the best way for me to answer that is it really depends on what your your worldview is. Okay. My my worldview is biblical, but I'm very liberal about it, meaning that um there are very few things that I'm absolutely conservative about and, and everything else I'm extremely liberal about as a person. But if if the Bibli- if the biblical accounts are true about the fall and if fallen angels really did in fact have sex with human women and created, they created supposedly in Genesis six, it says that they created, you know, men, men of renown and men of legend. So we're talking about some of these really old stories, you know, that you also hear in other cultures, like Greek mythology of like, you know, half God, half human people. But in one of the books that was left out of the Canon, which is the book of Enoch, which is extremely fascinating they say that the offspring of that, of the union of fallen angels and human women, some of those children went and had sex with animals. Okay. And if there's any truth to that, then you obviously have the offspring of that union. So almost like Satan's war on all of humanity and the earth was, was just a way of just polluting the gene pool. But at the same time, you also have all of these other cultures that talk about half man, half animal beings. I mean, from native America to Transylvania to China, I mean, everywhere, you know, from half dragon, half human, you know, half fish, half woman to half man, half half wolf. And so if you've got all of these cultures that at some point in time in history had no knowledge knowledge of one another, they were completely isolated, but they're telling the same stories. There has to be some kind of truth to it and so and then which is kind of the fascinating thing I don't know what they are um, i I'm on the fence about whether it's something that's evil or not um and and the the reason I say that. Is because, you know, with my own experience, I know that, especially as a young, vulnerable child, I very easily could have been killed. I very easily, easily could have been carried off. I mean, that could have happened very easily Um, for whatever reason she didn't. But I also think that I was dealing with a juvenile myself because she... In, in size comparison to having young kids and to how big I think she was um, in comparison to me, I don't think that creature was any more than maybe five two, five three. So I'm thinking I was dealing with a juvenile um, and for whatever reason, she was either curious about me or viewed me as a pet or was completely entertained or she really viewed me as some kind of playmate. I don't know. Um, But I do think that they, you know, like any strange or wild creature, they could be extremely dangerous and not to be tampered with. I don't think it's a great idea to go out, you know, and, and fool around with them. You know, I think if you're in their area, you have to be extremely respectful. I mean, but also trust your instincts. You know, there's some parts of the park down the street that I won't go into because it it absolutely freaks me out. So I just try to trust those instincts. So, um, I think that there is very possibly something supernatural involved. And at the same time, I think it's, it's the result of, um, you know, of something very old, um, that probably was not supposed to be here, but is. Yeah. If if that explains anything, I just, I don't know. Sure. Um,
0: Absolutely. I, I mean...
2: Again, yeah. You mean, I mean, again, until until we have an expert, until we have like a Jane Goodall of the, of the dog man world that's that can go out and live with him for a year,
0: yeah. you know,
2: <laughs> and document all this stuff, we're just never going to know for sure, you know.
0: Yeah, and you bring up the whole, the Nephilim angle and... You know, like that, Yeah, that's something that obviously, uh, well, maybe I shouldn't say obviously, but I've definitely thought about, and I say obviously because anybody who's listened to all my shows, like I've done two Nephilim shows this past year, uh, I'm a firm believer in the existence of the Nephilim, at least in our history Mm -hmm. of mankind. Um, now if they're in existence today, uh, I've had people tell me off the record some things uh, that I, I'm just not at liberty to talk about right now, but, uh, there are people right. out there that say that they still see these things as far as, um, mm-hmm. humanoid giants. Now, when it comes to the whole, right. uh, beast aspect of things with the Nephilim, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you because if, uh, the whole idea is to destroy God's creation, then That would Mm -hmm. entail more than just destroying the gene pool of man. It would also entail, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, taking care of all the beasts and plants of Mm -hmm. the land. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, the book of Enoch, I got it here at home. You know, I I look through it and stuff like that, too. I've read through it. Um, But, yeah, I'm absolutely on board there with you when it comes to that.
2: Right, which, you know, kind of ties back into why I— I look at bloodlines as a possible connection to why people see these things, because my theory is that, you know, it also affected, it affected us too. You know what I'm saying? If, if, um, all of that's true with the Nephilim, if if it's even true with the union between fallen angels and human women creating these men, these giants that you're talking about, it's very possible that some of those men were still, you know, reproducing with women. And it's also very possible that it's in some of our bloodlines. That's what I'm thinking is as a theory. I mean, obviously I can't prove it and I'm sure that would be considered very controversial. However, if that is the case, then I think that that might be part of the reason why people are seeing these things because there could be something in them that views some of us and goes, Oh, we're, you know, we're like cousins or something, you know what I'm saying? So without, without us knowing why I think that that's a possibility. I think the only other possibility, I think there's a few possibilities. I mean, I think that's one. I think them just being curious about us is another or just really enjoying scaring the crap out of us. I'm sure it's funny to them, you know? Um, you know, I think that that could be a possibility too, or just there. There's an evil reason behind it. You know, it, in a lot of cases, and maybe in some cases, it's not. It's just, it's just not one of those subjects, or you know, things that you know that we have an easy answer to, as far as I'm concerned.
0: No, absolutely. And you know, I hear people talk about the dog man encounters. I hear about people talking about the bigfoot encounters and there are such similarities there that it would make sense when you look at the all the similarities between the two different cryptids that mm-hmm. if you told me they had the a similar or the same origin i would be like well that makes mm-hmm. sense then you know because there's so many similarities right. not just with their 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 massive size and how they maneuver but just their like the way they act i mean uh, I've heard people tell me, uh, similar things. I actually, uh, there, I had one guy share with me that he was actually, um, I don't want to say he was raped, but he was sexually assaulted by, uh, a juvenile Sasquatch when he was a kid. And, uh, -hmm. he told me that. And so like, what do you make of that? These things are clearly interacting with people in a, peculiar way, you know? And um, when you I hear... I think
2: it's possible.
0: Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I,
2: I, yeah, I, I do. Um, and part of the reason why... I've Actually, a friend of mine, um, she sent me this picture, and I, I wish I could disclose it, but I don't have her permission. Um, but she said that she has juvenile Sasquatch on her ranch, and they're coming up at night, and they are raping her mares. So, and they caught one of the, one of these individuals face on one of their security cameras and she sent me the picture. Wow. Um, and she, but she asked me not to disclose it because she wants, she wanted some more research done before she does that. But it, yeah, it's terrifying. I mean, but if you think about it, it's almost like a ripple effect, you know, it's like, you know, it started with one thing and it's just continuing And it, but it just sort of makes sense. If you think about sort of asking, you know, why in a sense it's, it's, it's like, Look at, look at the origins, if those are the origins. It started with, with rape, you know, like that's a huge war tactic. If you think about it, you know, like one, one thing that I had learned recently that I didn't know was, was after, um, after World War II, when, um, you know, the allied forces went into Germany, the Russians raped a lot of German women as an act of war against them. And it was something I didn't know, like I said, that I didn't know until recently. There were many, many children that were actually born from that time that were half Russian and half German because these, these soldiers were attacking and raping German women because of the Nazis. So it's almost like it's a learned, it's an evil behavior, but it's almost like it's a learned war tactic. So if there's truth to you know, what the Bible says and, and what some of these other ancient books says, it kind of makes sense that, you know, that maybe these are the products of these things, which is pretty much an act of hate of, of Satan's hate for God's creation. And that's the ripple effect, you know, where these offspring are very possibly inherently evil and have absolute depravity and they're continuing the behavior that's like in their bloodline, you know? Right. So, I mean, it's kind of, it's, it's fascinating and it's horrifying at the same time. And it's definitely a subject all on its own that I, I'm sure we could talk, you know, for hours about, but it, it is something that that I'm looking into just for my own personal research, you know, and my hope is eventually I'd really like to have a database that has Um, all of, you know, all the dogman sightings, you know, maybe perhaps internationally, but I also want to look into the historical aspect of those places as far as, um, you know, what kind of history the place has, but also if there's a, you know, historical sightings that have gone on for hundreds of years, you know, like I know the UK has had werewolf sightings for, for, you know, centuries, that's, that's not a new thing for them. And they're still having sightings. So who, who knows? I mean, it's really, really fascinating stuff.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And we'll definitely have to have you come back on, share some of the Sasquatch stories and continue these conversations.
2: Yeah, yeah that'd be great.
0: Well, Lisa, I really appreciate you being here. And uh, until next time, take care. And if there's anything that pops okay. up that you'd like to talk about, I would love to just hear about it. So um, I look forward to hearing, seeing those pictures and videos as well.
2: Yeah, I'll try to, I probably won't do it tonight, but I will definitely, I'm off tomorrow, so I can definitely get all that stuff together for you, and I'll send it off to you.
0: Awesome. Okay, well, uh, you have a good night then.
2: All right, you too.
0: Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you want to support the show, go to patreon.com backslash the confessionals. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com backslash the confessionals. There you'll see a bunch of different rewards that you can get for supporting the show. Now, like I said in the beginning of the show, if you want to come out to the Frank Sarris Library in Cannonsburg, Pennsylvania on April 14th, I will be there hanging out with everybody. It's actually a town hall meeting where locals are going to come out and share what they've experienced with Bigfoot in that area. So I highly recommend you guys coming out, checking it out, and I'll be there too, just chilling. But until next week, friends, stay safe and take care, and I'll talk to you next Saturday night right here. On the confessionals.